0: If you are looking for even more powerful multi-class combos to try out in Baldur's Gate 3, or if you want to learn more about the differences between BG 3 and D&D 5e, or if you just think casting four fireballs with one character in a single turn sounds fun, then I think you're going to want to watch this video. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4, each week, usually, I take a deep dive into just one character build for our favorite role-playing games. Most of the time, that means Dungeons & Dragons. I like to theorycraft about them, usually I crunch numbers about them, and I stick everything in a spreadsheet. Not because I like to tell you the right way or the best way to play a certain character, but just to explore one potential way to build a character that's both really fun to play but also powerful. So if you enjoy creating characters for your favorite role-playing games almost as much as you enjoy actually playing the game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on how to build something that you're thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for watching. My name's Colby really quick a, a lot of you have been asking if i do a write-up for my baldur's gate 3 builds so that you don't have to go back and re-watch the video or take notes and the answer is yes i do it's something that i've always done but it's something that i do for channel members and i'd really appreciate it if you'd consider joining there's a little button down there that says join it's only a couple of bucks a month and then you get access to the library of write-ups that i create for every single one of my builds it's a great way to save yourself a little bit of time and also to support me and the channel huge thank you to my channel members you guys are fantastic and for everybody else huge thank you to youtube just watching and liking and subscribing and commenting and clicking the notifications bell these are all great ways to support the channel and i'm super grateful to you for just being here and for doing those things So thank you. And a big welcome to all of my new viewers and subscribers. I hope you like it here. I hope that you'll enjoy going back through all of my old 140 plus D&D builds and finding ones that you could tweak to make work in Baldur's Gate. And yeah, FYI, I think for the short term, at least, I might try to sprinkle in some BG3 content with my regular D&D 5e stuff. And maybe going forward, I'll even try to spend like a minute in the final thoughts of those, you know, strictly 5e builds to mention how I think you might be able to take the build and make it work for Baldur's Gate. Though, that won't be the case for next week's video, which is awesome and super cheeky, by the way, but I already recorded it and edited it and uploaded it to YouTube. I'm just waiting to release it until next week. So, yes, um, did my first Baldur's Gate 3 video a couple of weeks ago. Check that there if you haven't seen it. Um, The video did so well that I feel compelled to do another one. (laughs) But, I'm not just doing this for the views admittedly sure i'm motivated but i really love this game it's so much fun and i love the playground that it gives me the fact that you can not only multi-class in the game but also respec your character for a nominal fee and you don't have to meet minimum ability score requirements for multi-classing just really opens up the playing field for some fun and powerful combinations now if they just add blade singers so I could make that Bladesinger Paladin I've always dreamed of. It's the closest thing to playing D&D that you can get in a video game, especially when you play with your friends, which I'm doing right now for my first playthrough. And for that alone, I love it. Anyway, let's talk about four more fantastic, fun and flavorful multiclass combos for BG3 I wanted to do five more but the script was getting really long (laughs) and I really want to keep this under an hour I think I go into more detail at later levels on most of the builds today compared to last time so I figured four is still a good number one for each party member right oh but first a word from our sponsor Magic Spoon you know what the best part about having Magic Spoon as a sponsor is every time they sponsor a video they send me more cereal I have a secret to tell you, but you have to promise not to tell anybody. I've been cheating, cheating on my other cereals. You see, usually I have a couple of low-carb days every week, Tuesday and Friday. On those days, I've been eating Magic Spoon cereal because it only has four to five grams of net carbs per serving, which is really low for a cereal, and like 13 to 14 grams of protein per serving, which is really high. A cereal. On all of the other days of the week, I usually eat other cereals, but lately I've been cheating on my cheat days. I'm sneaking in some magic spoon on like Wednesdays and Saturdays and other days because it tastes so freaking good, especially maple waffle. Oh my gosh so yummy i can't keep my wife from eating this one actually she keeps stealing it and it's making me mad but the other flavors are just as fantastic in fact um i've been mixing maple waffle with cinnamon roll lately which makes a really good combo but blueberry muffin cocoa peanut butter fruity frosted Mm, mm, mm. anyways you guys should totally check them out scan uh, the qr code that's kind of up in the corner there, or just go to magicspoon.com slash d4. I'll put that in the video description, of course. Um, if you do one of those two ways, they'll know I sent you, so I'd appreciate it if you do that. And at checkout, use the code d4 and you'll save five bucks off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that they back it with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. So you've got nothing to lose. Try it for yourself and see how delicious it is. Big thanks to Magic Spoon, you guys are awesome. And let's jump into the builds, as soon as I'm done eating. All right, build number one today, I'm calling this one the blender. So. I kind of mentioned this in my little update to my first BG3 video uh, that I put out at the end of last week, where I made some tweaks to those builds from that first video, right, based on the full release of the game. But here's a harsh reality about D&D 5e. It's difficult for two weapon fighters to keep up damage-wise with two-handed heavy weapon users and ranged weapon users. And the reason for that is simply due to the existence of some important feats. For two-handed heavy weapon users, it's the combo of the Great Weapon Master feat with the polar Master feat, which would let you add plus 10 to damage on three attacks every single turn. The extra attack for two, bonus action attack for a third, right? And for ranged weapon users, it's the Sharpshooter feat combined with the Crossbow Expert feat, which basically lets you similarly get three attacks with a hand crossbow on your turn that again, you would add 10 damage to on each. Now, while the Polarm Master Great Weapon Master combo is alive and well, in baldur's gate 3 once they get polar master working right that is more on that later very surprisingly for me the crossbow expert feat got nerfed into the ground for baldur's gate all it does in bg3 is let you not suffer disadvantage on ranged attacks if an enemy is too close and then doubles the duration of gaping wounds if you use piercing shot for 5e vets This is a big difference between Baldur's Gate and 5e. Each weapon, if you're proficient in it, gives you additional things you can do with your weapon attacks, in addition to just attack with them. Very similar to 1D&D's weapon masteries. In BG3, if you're using a great axe, you can potentially cleave, for example. Or yeah, a bow will let you piercing shot, which does damage, but then puts a debuff on the enemy called Gaping Wounds that says for the next two rounds, attacks against them do an additional two piercing damage, right, stuff like that. And I mean, with Crossbow Expert, sure, making gaping wounds last four rounds instead of two is okay, but very few enemies in Baldur's Gate survive your party focus firing them for more than a couple of rounds, right? So yeah, Crossbow Expert kind of sucks in Baldur's Gate. Quick note from the editing room, I hear that you can, however, dual wield hand crossbows in BG3. I haven't tried it yet myself in the game, but... Supposedly, yeah, this lets you um, still make a bonus action attack with a hand crossbow, you just have to have two of them. Does that bonus action attack apply the minus 5 to hit, plus 10 to damage from sharpshooter? It seems like it would, or at least should. So there is still a great way to be a high damage ranged weapon user. And you should probably anticipate a build around that from me in the near future. All of that said, some of us just really love the fantasy of being a slicer and dicer, right? Get out of here with your halberds. I want to go into battle with a couple of short swords or scimitars and just deal death by a thousand cuts. Well, if that were my goal, Here's how i would build it at level one as with my other bg3 builds vid i'm going to just say pick your favorite race and background they will all have some impact on your mechanics and what you can do sure but generally speaking any of them will work with these builds so just go ahead and pick your favorite but as for our starting class however we are going to go Ranger here now when most people think about Rangers I think they think about being a ranged character right and probably having an animal companion with them something like that well not this ranger this ranger is more like aragorn if aragorn had two narsals instead of just one anyways as for our starting ability scores just make sure that you get a 16 dexterity a 16 constitution and a 14 wisdom you might want to flip that constitution and wisdom around better wisdom will let your ranger spells work a little bit better as well as improve your wisdom saving throws and your perception checks and stuff like that but we're not really here on this build to be a spellcaster We're here to get into the thick of things in Melee and want more hit points and the better concentration check from that higher Constitution score, I think as for the equipment that we'd want to use on this character we're going to go for the best medium armor that we can get as an aside medium armor with its plus two cap bonus from dexterity is usually going to give us a better armor class than light armor with an unlimited dexterity bonus until we can cap our dexterity at 20 at which point it's a wash but of course with light armor you're not going to suffer disadvantage on stealth checks so choose accordingly but then we would want to grab two scimitars or short swords for our weapons And in case you didn't know, any character can dual-wield in this game, or use two-weapon fighting. The only requirement is that both weapons have the light property. If they do, then you can use your bonus action to make an attack with the weapon in your, you know, offhand, right? Alas, you do not get to add your ability score modifier in damage to that offhand attack not yet anyways but it's still a decent little damage increase regardless if you've got nothing better to do with your bonus action now we want short swords or scimitars because they're also finesse weapons and as such that means we can use our dexterity modifier to hit and damage instead of strength right now at level one Rangers first up get favored enemy this is very different than it is in 5e here it lets us choose between five favored enemies and then we get some little bonuses based on what we choose these basically are going to give us a proficiency or two and or a spell none of them are going to have a huge impact on our damage or our playstyle. so go ahead and pick your favorite pyf we also get natural explorer as a ranger one and again very different than in 5e and again i'll just say pyf here this is going to either give us a spell a proficiency or like some damage resistance all will be useful none will greatly impact what we're doing in combat At level two, rangers get a fighting style, and yes, we are going to pick two-weapon fighting, naturally. This tells us that now we can add our dexterity modifier to the damage that we do with our offhand attack, meaning that our bonus action attack will do just as much damage as our action attack, and that is pretty cool and important for this build. Rangers also get spells at this level, and while there are plenty of decent support and utility-based options, the one I want to focus on here is Hunter's Mark. You cast it on an enemy as a bonus, action it requires your concentration and thereafter whenever you hit that enemy with a weapon attack you do an extra d6 of damage you can transfer it to someone else with a bonus action when your target dies and blessedly it lasts until you take a long rest making it super efficient so yeah it works very similarly to the warlocks hex spell now yes people often complain that hunter's mark and hex for that matter are actually not a super great spells because they're always eating up your bonus action to transfer them right but we will have something to soften that blow a little bit very soon because at level three we're going to take Rogue levels many people are going to say that you'd be crazy for multi-classing out of a martial class before level five and that very important extra attack feature right but that is actually not going to be the case for us I mean in a world where you can respec whenever you want i guess it's kind of never the case anyways but regardless it makes a lot of sense for our blender of a character here and we'll get into why in just a minute also though let me say this yes i would plan on making this character like the primary scouty lock picky roguish character in my party with this build and for that reason you very well may want to start off at level one as a rogue you'd get more skill proficiencies that way and would have that roguish utility right from the start as well as comparable damage even early on thanks to sneak attack which we get at rogue one this tells us that this tells us that when we hit an enemy who is either standing next to one of our allies or that we have advantage against and we're making an attack with a finesse or ranged weapon which we are then we get to add a d6 of damage to that enemy once per turn and that scales with rogue levels. We also get expertise here, which lets us double our proficiency bonus in two skills that we're proficient in, and yeah, if I'm acting as the party's scouty skill monkey, I'm going sleight of hand, and to make me better at picking locks, and disarming traps, and pickpocketing, and perception to make me better at seeing those traps and hidden doors and things. At level four we would be a rogue two and that means we get cunning action which tells us that we can use a bonus action to disengage dash or hide that's always handy at level five we would be a rogue three and that means we get our rogue subclass and we are gonna go with the thief and for those who don't know The Thief is way better in Baldur's Gate 3 than it is in D&D 5e, mechanically at least, and is arguably the most powerful rogue subclass for one reason and one reason alone, and that is because they get Fast Hands. I will be shocked if Larian doesn't nerf Fast Hands in a future patch. Hopefully not before this video comes out. (laughs) But for now, Fast Hands simply gives us an extra bonus action, every single round and yeah at the time of recording this video at least you can use that bonus action to do pretty much whatever bonus action you can do including making another offhand attack if you're two weapon fighting and that's amazing and it's also why we care more about getting to rogue three once we've got the two weapon fighting style than we do about getting to ranger five because with ranger five sure we'd make two attacks with our action and one with our bonus action so three total But with Ranger 2 and Rogue 3, we make two attacks with our bonus action and one with our action, all of them doing the exact same amount of damage, but with the added benefit of getting an extra 2d6 of sneak attack once per turn. And I think my favorite thing about the two bonus action thing, actually, is that it makes dealing with Hunter's Mark feel a lot less painful sure we are sacrificing an attack either way to transfer it but it just feels a lot better to me if we have to transfer Hunter's Mark to transfer it with a bonus action and still get an offhand attack I still wouldn't use Hunter's Mark against enemies with really low hit points who are not likely to live more than a round but I like having the option and the great thing about the spell lasting all day is that I can easily choose when to use it without giving up very much once I've cast it at the beginning of the day right all right at level six now that we've got fast hands and some sneak attack damage, it's time to go back to Ranger. So we'd be a Ranger 3 so that we can get to extra attack, among other things. Including, importantly, here, our subclass. And you know what we're going with, don't you? Yeah, we're going Gloomstalker. Now, Gloomstalker is awesome, both thematically, paired with a Rogue, I think especially, it's just great. And mechanically. Though, it's admittedly a little bit weaker in 5e, which... I'm totally fine with, for the record, since in 5e it's arguably overpowered. The main reason it's probably overpowered is for the Dread Ambusher feature, which we get here. This gives us a lot of great benefits. First, it increases our initiative by 3, next it increases our move speed on the first round of combat by 3 meters or 10 feet especially useful for a melee combatant right finally it lets us take an extra attack on the first round of combat and that attack deals an extra d8 of damage amazing so now on the first round of combat we're making four weapon attacks potentially adding 2d6 to one and a d8 to another or probably better yet casting hunter's mark and making three attacks since getting an extra 3d6 of damage on our turn over three attacks right with hunter's mark will typically outweigh the d6 plus that we'd get for a second bonus action weapon attack, right? Note here that unlike in 5e, this doesn't give you an extra attack every time you take the attack action. So in 5e, if you took two levels of fighter and had action surge, well, you would get that extra gloomstalker attack both times. Here you just get one extra attack on the first round of combat, the end. Still great. Gloomstalkers also get superior dark vision here, which lets us see in the dark up to 24 meters away. That's a big range in this game. And it would let you take, say, a human or a dragonborn and still enjoy dark vision. That's great. And then they also get Umbral Shroud, which is much weaker than Umbral Sight that we get in 5e. And again, kind of okay with these Gloomstalker nerfs. Umbral Shroud just lets us use an action to make ourselves invisible if we're obscured. And it ends early, just like with the invisibility spell, if we attack, cast a spell, or take damage. So situationally useful at best at level seven we'd be a ranger four and that means we finally get our first feat and we would want to use it to bump our dexterity no question increasing our damage and all of our roguish utility not to mention saving throws and initiative rolls at level eight we'd be a ranger five and thus we would finally get extra attack meaning now we would be able to make four attacks on all of our turns potentially and up to five on our first round of combat slicing and dicing we also get 2nd level Ranger spells here. Gloomstalkers actually get Misty Step for free, which is incredible since it's a very good teleportation spell that we can use with our bonus action, of which we have two. But aside from that, while Pass Without Trace is good to give your entire party a plus 10 flat bonus to their stealth check, making it super handy to creep past enemies who you can't otherwise find a way around as are Lesser Restoration and Spike Growth, I think I'd plan on keeping my concentration for Hunter's Mark here most of the time. So. I'll just say, again, PYF. Then from levels nine on, I'd probably just go back to Rogue, personally the rest of the way as i don't think that the upper level ranger features and spells are all that great to be honest while more rogue levels on the other hand would get us more sneak attack damage and some nice roguish utility and defensive abilities alternatively you could always go a couple levels of fighter to get that action surge and that would mean up to seven weapon attacks on that first round of combat which is glorious but I probably wouldn't go that route until I had at least capped my dexterity at Rogue 4, personally. All right, on to build number two. This one we're calling the Gish, or the Spell Sword. Okay, so. D&D 5e vets know that when it comes to overpowered subclasses, the Hexblade Warlock is very near the top of the list. It's a subclass that I've used a ton on my D&D builds in the past, and every time I build a charisma-based character who uses weapons, the greatest temptation that I'm often trying to resist is dipping into Hexblade Warlock, just like on my video last week, right? The Knight of Knaves. The main reason, though there are several, is because Hexblade Warlock are the only subclass in the game that lets you make weapon attacks using not your strength modifier not your dexterity modifier but your charisma modifier when i first found out that bg3 was not going to have a hexblade option i was pretty sad but honestly partly relieved (laughs) so i didn't feel compelled to take a hexblade dip on every charisma based character that i played but then a few weeks ago i was thrilled to discover that larian is doing us one better they're simply giving all warlocks the ability to attack with their charisma modifier thanks to pact of the blade So yes, as opposed to 5e, Pact of the Blade not only lets us make a weapon our Pact Weapon and thereby give us some little perks and open up some invocations to us, but in BG3, Pact of the Blade just flat out tells you that you use your charisma modifier to make attacks with your Pact Weapon. That is so awesome. Elegant, but simple. I love it. And for this reason, I think warlocks in BG3 probably make the best Gish. For those who don't know, Gish is an old-school D&D term, derived from uh, the Githyanki, actually, that has come to mean a character who is both a weapon wielder and a spellcaster. A true spell sword. Gishes are my favorite kind of character to play in D&D, next to monks, I suppose, and I've built a ton of them on my channel. And, sure, swords bards make pretty good Gishes, and Paladins are sort of gishes by default, and even the Eldritch Knight Fighter and Arcane Trickster Rogue are kind of gishy, but I think the Pact of the Blade warlock is better than any of them and here's how I would build them at level one yes to start out we're going to take warlock for our class and we're actually going to be here for quite some time so get comfy for our starting abilities we're going to want to go 16 charisma 16 constitution and a 14 dexterity you could go 16 dexterity and 14 constitution instead sadly there's no warlock subclass or pact or invocation that gives us medium armor proficiency so you might want to start with a higher dexterity to get a better armor class or you could just start with a single level of Paladin here which I am going to be picking up later anyways that way you'd have heavy armor and martial weapon proficiency right from the get-go but just know that until we have three levels of Warlock we'd be relying on our strength or dexterity for weapon attacks so your first few levels will look very different thank goodness for respecking. assuming we started Warlock though yes we just have to be content equipment wise with the best light armor we can find for now and then just plan on standing at the back and casting spells until level three as for what those spells should be sure i'd go with the usual suspects eldritch blast for some decent sustained damage hex to add even more damage to the eldritch blast when we cast it and for our other attacks when we get those later of course armor of agathis is a good spell here to consider as well to increase both our survivability with some temporary hit points and even return damage to our enemies when we get hit. Warlocks get their subclass right at level 1, and we are going to go Archfey. This is important for one main reason, really, but that's not going to come until much later. For now, Archfey simply get the Fey Presence feature, which tells us that we can use our action to make enemies within 3 meters of us, make a wisdom saving throw, or they are charmed or frightened our choice until the end of our next turn not a bad little bit of control there and i'd usually choose frightened as it gives enemies disadvantage on their attacks and ability checks while they can see you they also can't move as opposed to charmed which means that they just can't hurt you and that you have advantage on charisma checks against them so great for out of combat stuff of course at level two we get eldritch invocations and i would take agonizing blast for now which adds our charisma modifier to our eldritch blast making it a really potent cantrip and then either repelling blast to keep those enemies pushed away from you when you hit them with eldritch blast or maybe armor of shadows assuming we started as a warlock not a paladin this lets us cast mage armor at will and that'll give us a 13 ac plus our dexterity modifier which is much better than what we're getting from any light armor that we've probably got at the level at level three though we get our packed boon and like i said we're totally going packed the blade and it's awesome. It lets us bind a weapon that we're wielding or summon a weapon if we're not wielding anything, and we can choose from a nice list, including a glaive if we haven't found one yet in game, and make it magical. Most importantly, yes, we can use our charisma modifier for our plus to hit and damage instead of our strength or dexterity, and this makes us very happy. Also, importantly, even if you don't typically have proficiency in the weapon that you're summoning or binding, turning a weapon into our packed weapon gives us proficiency efficiency with that weapon at least that's how it worked in my own testing we also get second level spells here and while going the darkness plus devil sight invocation is great fun in 5e if annoying for everyone else at your table to give you advantage on attacks against targets and disadvantage on their attacks against you because they can't see you and you can see them right well that doesn't really work in Baldur's Gate in BG3 darkness imposes the blinded condition so even if you can see in magical darkness you still get the blinded condition when you enter the area of darkness i know it's weird what's more you simply cast it in a static area not potentially on like yourself or your weapon for example so it doesn't move with you right so yeah darkness devil sight that's out but yes there are some other good spell options here hold person misty step cloud of daggers nothing i plan on using in combat necessarily to replace hex i think so Pick your favorite. At level four, we get our first feat, and we are going to take, yes, the Polar Master feat. Polar Master is one of the strongest feats in the game. At least it is when it's working properly so polar master lets us make an opportunity attack when an enemy simply enters our reach not just leaves it and especially since pole arms have a 10 foot reach you'll actually trigger this quite often even better though it lets us make a bonus action attack with like the butt of our polearm. arm now this only does a d4 of damage but like I discussed in that short last week updating my first bg3 builds video and actually in a lot of other videos on this channel, I guess. In D&D, with as many ways as we have to add damage to our attacks, the actual damage die of our weapon is like, one of the least important things for us to care about right now our attacks are doing plus our charisma modifier plus a d6 for hex that adds up to be a lot more than the weapon die itself whether we're hitting them with the d10 sharp end or the d4 blunt end right and when we get great weapon master later it gets way better in theory anyway because I need to note this, in my own playtesting of this, for some reason, when I use Polearm Master with my Pact of the Blade Glaive, the attack with the sharp end works great, but the Polearm Clout, that's what they call the butt attack, or butt action, as I affectionately call it oddly was using my charisma for the plus to hit but my dexterity for the plus to damage so lame it also in tests is not adding rage damage as a barbarian just my strength modifier i've heard i haven't tested this yet but that it doesn't add like the great weapon master damage if you take the great weapon master feat later it does correctly add the damage from hex on the hit so that's nice but yeah i have to assume that this is not working as intended and will be patched but maybe help me be a squeaky wheel with larian to get that fixed please and thank you right at level five we get to pick a third eldritch invocation and there are lots of great ones to choose from and i'm not going to say that there are any that you just have to have here our spell slots become third level spell slots right now and there are a lot of great ones to choose from most of which require our concentration things like fear hypnotic pattern which are also nice control-based debuffs or counter spell to foil the plans of enemy casters. I'm just going to say go ahead and pick your favorite. Most importantly for this build at this level, unique to BG3, Warlocks get something called Deepened Pact, which essentially just improves whatever pact you took. And for those of us with Pact of the Blade, that just means we get extra attack now. And again, I kind of love how Larian essentially made all warlock subclasses potentially strong marshals with this one pack it's pretty fantastic at level six as a fey touched warlock we get the misty escape feature and it's pretty nice once per short rest when we take damage we can become invisible a great way to help prevent additional damage to us so nice to use in a pinch what's more on our turn we can then cast the misty step spell which lets us teleport 30 feet away as a bonus action, though doing so will break our invisibility. Or we could simply make an attack from invisibility, which, yes, will also break it, but at least that attack will be made with advantage, since the enemy can't see us, right? At level seven, we get a fourth invocation, and again, I'll say pick your favorite, lots of good ones to choose from, though I wouldn't plan on taking any invocation here that gives us a spell that requires concentration, because we also at this level get fourth level warlock spells, and that means we finally get the thing That was the main reason we went Archfey in the first place. Because Archfey's uniquely, for Warlocks, get access to the Greater Invisibility spell. And it's absolutely the best spell that we'll be taking here and using our concentration on going forward so yeah I've said this before but it bears repeating often getting advantage on your attacks is one of the most potent and important things you can do as a damage dealing class in D&D 5e it just really boosts your average damage especially for those of us who are using great weapon Master or Sharpshooter like we will be soon and probably The best and most reliable way to get advantage in the game, in my opinion, is through this spell, Greater Invisibility. You turn yourself invisible, and now, instead of like normal invisibility, you are invisible for one minute and nothing, save losing concentration, will break that invisibility. So now you can attack, cast spells, etc., and enjoy advantage on your attacks, and give your enemies disadvantage on their attacks against you until the spell ends. Giving up the extra damage from Hex, since it requires concentration too, is a little bit a bummer, but to just always have advantage on all of your attacks and your enemies disadvantage on theirs against you is totally worth it. Plus it keeps our bonus action free all the time, right? We don't have to worry about whether or not we should be using our bonus action to transfer hex anymore. We can just make that butt action attack every time. But at level 8, though I really want to get to those promised paladin levels, we've got to stick with warlock for one more level to get that feet especially now that we have reliable advantage we want to take yes great weapon master which will if we so choose give us a minus five to hit but a plus 10 to damage and that is just going to send our damage to the moon now don't forget with great weapon master we also get to make a bonus action attack if we crit or get a killing blow on an enemy which means that you should use that bonus action attack instead of your butt action attack if and when it becomes available, for a little more damage, d10 instead of a d4, and for a lot more damage until Larian fixes it, because it definitely will add the Great Weapon Master damage. But then yes, at level 9, with our two most important feats under our belt and greater invisibility, it's time to go paladin. Though yes, like I said, you might want to have started out as a paladin for the armor and weapon proficiency, if nothing else, to make those first few levels a little easier. At this level, adding paladin would give us medium armor proficiency, but not Heavy unless of course we just respect and took Paladin as our level one and then the rest of our levels in Warlock, so I probably would to that if I hadn't already. And then we could even lower our dexterity if we wanted, since heavy armor receives no benefit to armor class from our dexterity mod, letting us give ourselves a little more wisdom or strength or whatever, your call. Now, paladins get their oath or subclass right at level one in Baldur's Gate 3, And I'd say, go ahead and pick your favorite. No option will affect our damage all that much. And this might actually be a really great place to try out that oath breaker you've been wanting to try. You started off as a paladin, but then Made a pact with an otherworldly patron sounds like something that might cause you to break your oath anyway Um, paladins also at pally one get lay on hands which is a nice little heal, and then divine sense to give us advantage on attack rolls against fiends celestials and undead but at level 10 we would be a pally 2 and this is the true promised land because yes that means we get paladin spells first up go ahead and pick your favorite there's some decent support and utility focused options especially but of course we will be using those spell slots for you guessed it divine smite now divine smite burns a spell slot when you use it though it does an extra 2d8 radiant damage plus 1d8 more for each level higher than a first level spell slot that you use so right now we have two first level paladin spell slots that reset on a long rest and two very juicy 4th level warlock spell slots that reset on a short rest. That would do the maximum amount a divine smite can do, 5d8 extra damage on a hit. Unfortunately, yes, we probably want to be using one of those spell slots to cast greater invisibility on ourselves each combat to get advantage. But when we need to, we can pack a really big punch here, potentially even smiting on all three of our pull arm attacks. And just to add up the numbers, If every attack on our turn landed and we burned all of our smites on those attacks, we'd be doing a total of 2d10 plus 1d4 plus 98 plus 36 damage for a whopping total of 90 damage on average. That's wonderful. For levels 11 and 12 on this character, I'd probably stick with Paladin so I could pick up another subclass feature and get that third feat so I could at least raise my charisma to 18 by endgame. Yeah, not having custom lineage or variant human as racial options in Baldur's Gate 3 is painful. (laughs) All right, on to build number three the non-bear tank. In my last Baldur's Gate 3 video, I made what I called the ultimate tank, with the barbarian, right? The moon druid, heart barbarian. I still think that build is good, though until Larian makes it so that you can do more things while wild-shaped than just the things that the wild-shaped form can do, things from your other classes that you might have or your race, etc. It's not as good as it could be. But also, maybe you want to be a tank, but one who wears heavy armor and a shield and just stays in humanoid form could we build that in bg3 I think so but it is a little tricky again as I talked about last time there aren't a lot of ways to taunt enemies in this game right and I think the moon druid bear form has the best taunt in game as it's usable every turn and has a big area of effect to hit multiple enemies who if they fail their saving throw are yeah just forced to attack you but yeah I think we could get there with a character in humanoid form and i think it's primarily through the combination of fighter and paladin so at level one i'd probably start off this build as a fighter you could certainly start paladin there are pros and cons to each but we get a more frequently usable taunt from Fighter, and if the main purpose of this character is to protect our allies first and foremost, and do damage and heal and things second, then yeah, let's start Fighter. For our ability scores, we'd go with a 16 Strength, a 16 Constitution, and a 14 Dexterity. We'll want the Strength so that we can hit reliably. The Constitution, because yeah, we're trying to get our enemies to attack us, so we need to be super durable that's what tanks do we also will eventually want a good concentration check it's another reason to start fighter actually because they get Constitution saving throw proficiency paladins don't and then yeah that dexterity is nice primarily for the initiative bonus on this build I think but it will also help our armor class in the early game until we find some solid heavy armor as for our equipment yeah we're going to want to try to get the best heavy armor we can find use a shield and then just equip our favorite d8 weapon right longsword. Battle Axe, Warhammer, etc. At level one, fighters get a second wind that tells us that once per short rest, we can use a bonus action to heal ourselves for a d10 plus our fighter level. It's a pretty nice little self heal to really help our survivability, and because it only costs a bonus action and resets on a short rest, it's super efficient and we'll probably be able to use it in just about every fight. We also get a fighting style, and as far as what we should pick, I think the question here is do you care more about being hard to kill yourself? or protecting your allies more reliably. If the former, take defense fighting style to bump your armor class by one. If the latter, take protection to impose disadvantage on an attack made against your allies. Now, to use this, you have to be within 1.5 meters of your ally, or five feet, right? And it costs your reaction, which kind of stinks because you'll be giving up attacks of opportunity, among other things, potentially. But it's a pretty decent way to help keep your allies safe, if that's what you're going for. At level two, we get action surge, of course, and. That lets us use two actions instead of one on our turn once per short rest more actions are always a good thing though for those of us focused less on damage it tends to be slightly less impactful it's still nice at level three we get our fighter subclass and we are going to take battlemaster as a battlemaster you get three superiority dice that are d8s think of these like spell slots for fighters you spend them to improve your attacks usually by adding a maneuver to those attacks, and then you get all of these superiority dice back after a short rest, so kind of like warlock spell slots. You get to pick four different maneuvers from a nice long list, and there are a lot of good ones that you should consider, but the most important one for us is goading attack. I was worried they weren't going to put this in the game because it wasn't in early access, I don't think, anyway. But yes, this is our first taunt, though it's kind of a soft taunt, it's not a true taunt like you might see in other video games, or like even the bear druid gets, it doesn't force enemies to attack you but when you hit an enemy with it it both gives an extra d8 of damage your superiority die right and it gives the enemy that you hit with it disadvantage on attacks against anyone other than you it only lasts for one turn unfortunately but fortunately yeah you've got three superiority die that reset on a short rest so you should be able to use this fairly frequently in a fight and it ends up being a really nice way to help keep your allies safe but at level four again if you're more concerned about doing more damage on this character stick with fighter if you're more concerned about increasing your ways to protect your allies like any good tank is I'd take some paladin levels now. Because at Pally 1, we get Lay on Hands, which is a great way to heal your friends or yourself, I guess. As well as Divine Sense, like we've talked about. Advantage on attacks against fiends, undeads, and celestials. For a couple of rounds. I mean, that could help ensure that we land our goading attack, if nothing else, if we're fighting one of those creature types, right? And then we also get our subclass. And on this build, yeah, I think I definitely would go Oath of the Ancients, as it has that nice little heal option. Feels appropriate on a character built to protect and defend. Offend. Then, at level 5, we would be a Paladin 2, and the main reason we wanted to jump into Paladin so soon is for the Paladin spells that we get here at this level. Because, while there are a lot of good options, the best one for tanking is going to be Compelled Duel. This spell is actually a lot better in Baldur's Gate than it is in 5e. Here, the spell actually just straight up compels an enemy to attack you. They can't attack anyone else and there aren't any, like, if you attack someone else, or if someone attacks them, then the spell breaks, wording in here either, like in 5e. It lasts three turns and requires concentration, and it only takes a bonus action to cast. So good. Now, the enemy does get to make a wisdom saving throw against it, and that will be impacted by your charisma modifier. So at this point, I think I would respec probably to go 17 strength, 16 charisma, and 14 constitution personally I'll explain why the odd numbered strength score in a minute I'm assuming we've got some great heavy armor by now and so you know missing out on that dexterity is not as big a deal and then yes at Pally 2 we also get divine smite here if we wanted to spend one of our precious spell slots on damage but yeah on this build I think I'd really try to save those spell slots for compelled duel we also get a fighting style as a paladin two, which is great so we get another one and I'd probably just take whichever one you didn't take last time between defense or protection at level 6 there is really good reason to go back to fighter you'd get a feat at fighter 4 and at level 6 which is unique to fighters and in a game that only goes to level 12 and does not have custom lineage or variant human i almost want to go fighter 6 on every character but in the end i think we bring more protection for our teammates from paladin so i'm going to stay here for a bit So at Pally 3, we get Divine Health. That would make us immune to disease. Nice. As well as Channel Divinity, which tells us that once per short rest, as an Oath of Ancients Paladin, we can use either Nature's Wrath, which lets us use an action to try and restrain an enemy, keeping them from moving and giving our party advantage on attacks against them, as well as giving the enemy disadvantage on their attacks. This is actually pretty nice, both for control and for the extra damage it could lead to and the reduction on damage to your allies that it could lead to. It lasts for 10 turns, though they do get to make a strength save against it. Or we can use channel divinity for turn the faithless, which is sort of like the clerics turn undead, except that it works on fey and fiends instead, right? Forcing them to run away from you for three turns if they fail their wisdom save against it situationally useful at level seven we would be a paladin four and that means we finally get our first feat and this is actually a really tough decision i think i could see us doing a number of things buff our charisma to let us land our compelled duel more reliably as well as our channel divinity abilities and in a minute to improve our aura of protection right increase our constitution for more hit points and better constitution saves and concentration checks maybe taking the tough feat to just straight up give us two more hit points per level but my favorite route on this build at least is actually gonna be to go with the heavy armor master feat first up this is a half feat increasing our strength by 1 to 18 and yeah that means we're going to land our attacks a lot more reliably and that's important not just for the damage but to make sure that our goading attack soft taunt hits right But then this feat also decreases damage from incoming non-magical attacks which is most of the damage that you'll be taking in bg3 by three every attack that might not seem like a lot but it really adds up especially if you're effectively getting most of the enemies on the battlefield to attack you, right? It's going to add to your survivability more than you might think. At level 8, we would be a Paladin 5, and that means we get extra attack, so now we can potentially goad more enemies on our turn, or at least have more chances to land a goading attack on the one we're really trying to deter. Not to mention the increased damage, of course. But we also get second level Paladin spells here, which means, sure, more castings of Compelled Duel, and I really really wish that you could upcast this spell to affect additional targets with a higher level spell slot. I don't know why they don't allow for that in either d d or BG3. But also, I probably would snag Aid and Lesser Restoration for a nice heal and party buff with Aid, as well as a cure-all for afflicted allies with Lesser Restoration. At level 9, we would be a Paladin 6, and yes, this means the Almighty Aura of Protection, which is just really, really good especially for us, concerned as we are about protecting our allies above all. It simply adds our Charisma modifier, 3 at the moment, to all of the saving throws for us, and our allies within 10 feet or 3 meters, and that will do wonders to keep us alive. It will also make everyone want to stand really close to you all of the time. So, I hope you're okay with a lack of personal space. At level 10, even though if we went back to Fighter now, we'd still be able to get that extra feat at Fighter 6, I feel like we've got to go at least one more level of pally because Oath of the Ancients Paladins get Aura of Warding, which is just such a great tank and protection buff. It also works in a 10 foot radius, but gives you and nearby allies resistance to damage from all spells. So now you have a fantastic way to mitigate both non-magical damage and spell damage. You are super hard to kill and just a fantastic protector on the battlefield for the final two levels then on this character I'd probably just go pally eight and fighter four to grab feats and yeah good luck choosing because I want them all I think I'd honestly probably just take charisma to 20 right to really get the most out of your paladin features but bumping constitution or strength or taking the tough feat wouldn't be terrible choices either all right for the fourth and final build today we've got my favorite of the day. The tactical nuke okay so last bg3 video i did an ultimate blaster right that was a burst damage focused long-range single target spellcaster who fired out a billion eldritch blasts in a turn for big damage right well what if we wanted to build an area of effect blaster sure single target damage is great and tactically sound but sometimes you just want to blow up an entire room full of baddies right right now Perhaps the easiest and simplest solution would be to go Evocation Wizard in that case. Evocation is great because it lets you sculpt those hard-hitting AoE damage spells like Fireball so that they don't hurt your allies, letting you more consistently place the spell's area in a way as to hit as many enemies as possible without worrying about where your friends are in relation, right? And maybe, if you wanted to get really fancy, you could take a couple levels of Fighter, so you could Fireball action surge and then fireball again casting two fireballs in a single round that would be awesome but what if we could cast four fireballs in a single round the crap (laughs) in what scenario would we even need to cast four fireballs in a single round with one character i don't know but it sounds freaking awesome doesn't it (laughs) so let's do it at level one we are going not evocation wizard though that would help keep our allies safer but sorcerer for your starting abilities make sure you get a 16 charisma 16 constitution and a 14 dexterity charisma is going to make our spells better constitution is going to help us survive and make our concentration checks and dexterity will improve our armor class and initiative among other things now we are going to take fighter levels eventually on this character so you might want to start fighter for that heavy armor and shield proficiency but I'm just planning on beelining to the best caster stuff on this character I'm going to try to survive with my squishiness so as for equipment just take like the standard stuff we have no armor proficiency it's not a huge deal try and stand at the back and stay behind your tanks sorcerers get their subclass at level one and I think being the fireball maniac that we're going to be here we've gotta go with Draconic Bloodline. We'll be choosing a dragon type that we are descended from, and we're gonna to wanna to take either red, gold, or brass to be associated with the corresponding fire damage type, though that won't actually give us a ton of benefit until later. This is also going to give us Draconic Resilience, which is nice for those of us not cheating with a level one fighter start. It gives us one more hit point per level and a base armor class of 13, plus our dexterity modifier. So it's kinda of like having mage armor on all the time. And we get sorcerer spells here if course and i'd probably just take the usual suspects sleep is pretty nice at early levels anyway for some decent control fire bolt decent cantrip feels on point thematically as well as burning hands right for a nice early game area of effect spell. Thunder Wave is good for that too. Magic Missile for some guaranteed damage. Ice Knife is a decent little single and multi-target damage option, actually. Shield, one of the strongest spells in game for defensive purposes. Have fun with it. Pick your favorites. But at level two, we start to get sorcery points. We get one per sorcerer level. They reset on a long rest, and we use them to enhance our spells in a variety of ways via metamagic options. And we do get to choose two metamagic options here, unlike in D&D, and I'm going to say pick your favorites there's lots of good ones twin spell is great for single target spells i'd probably grab that careful spell can be nice for our non-evocation wizard fireball slinging selves to at least ensure that our allies make their save against our spells if they happen to be foolishly standing next to our enemies when we turn them to ash but yeah we're more interested in options that we get at the next level for magic because at level 3 we get more magic options to choose from and yes we want quicken spell this lets us cast a spell that normally has a casting time of an action as a bonus action and again in bg3 there is no prohibition like in 5e against casting a spell with a bonus action and then casting a non-cantrip spell with our action giddy up now in bg3 quicken spell also costs three sorcery points so it's not cheap but don't forget that you can turn sorcery points into spell slots and spell slots into sorcery points so that will let us potentially burst more often we also get second level spells here and not to be boring but again pyf scorching ray can be a decent single target damage dealer web is a really great control spell or hold person is even better for humanoids for single target anyway pick your favorites at level four we get our first feat, and we are definitely going to bump our charisma to 18 make us making us more likely to land our spells but level five is the promised land for us because that means third level spells and while there are a ton of good options to consider we want to focus on two. First, of course fireball that quintessential blaster spell fireball erupts in a 20-foot radius sphere for 8 d6 fire damage to all in the area who fail their dexterity saving throw against it and still deals half damage on a successful save it is our bread and butter as an aside lightning bolt can also be good in the right situation it does the same amount of damage but lightning based and in a line instead of a sphere not bad to keep it in your pocket depending on how the battlefield lines up but usually you'll be able to get more baddies with a fireball as for the second spell that we've absolutely got to take here it's haste now In D&D, haste is one of the best buffs in the game. It increases your move speed, increases your armor class by two, and then gives you one extra action. But you can only use that action to make a single weapon attack. Dash, disengage, hide, or use an object. In BG3, Larian just decided, what the hell, let's just blow the doors off this thing. (laughs) And yeah, they made one of the best buffs in the game even better, because here, In addition to raising your AC and move speed, it just straight up gives you a second action. A full action. Every single turn. Holy crap. It's like having action surge every single round. That's... insanity. Yes, it requires concentration, but it is pretty amazing. So now, if you wanted to, on round one, you could use haste on yourself, and then on round two, you could quicken spell fireball, then fireball with your action, then fireball with your hasted action. Three fireballs, ha ha ha. Wait a sec, we don't even have three third level spell slots yet, damn it. (laughs) Okay, fine, but at level six, we would. And also, we need to stay sorcerer here because I kind of feel like As this fireball maniac, we should probably get that sixth level of Draconic Bloodline Sorcerer. First, for more sorcery points and spell slots, but second, because Draconic Bloodline now gets some benefits based on their Draconic ancestry, right? Since we went with a fire-based dragon, we'd now have elemental affinity, resistance, and damage for fire. So for resistance, we'd actually have to spend a sorcery point when we cast a fire spell to gain fire resistance. Probably not worth it most of the time, honestly. But then we also get to add our charisma modifier to the damage we deal with fire spells, more importantly. And yeah... An extra four damage to all our fire-based spells isn't nothing, especially when it's multiple fireballs hitting multiple targets each time. That's going to add up to a lot of extra damage. Now, at level seven, we could pick up a way to cast a fourth fireball on our turn, sure, but yeah, we still need more spell slots first, or what's the point? So we're going to stick with Sorcerer for just one more level here. That means we get fourth level spells and spell slots, and Banishment, Dimension Door, Greater Invisibility, Polymorph, and more are all great. But who are we kidding? We're just gonna be upcasting Fireball with that spell slot anyways, right? But at level eight, you may be perfectly satisfied with your three fireballs on a turn self. I probably would be. Maybe you'd rather get higher level spells at this point and want to just stick with Sorcerer. That wouldn't be a bad idea at all. Or yeah, heck, maybe take that two level wizard dip into evocation to keep your allies safe from your pyromania. Also not a bad idea. I like to explore the limits of what's possible. So we are taking fighter levels and sure at this point feel free to respect so that you're a fighter first getting you that heavy armor and shield proficiency if you want it but as a fighter one we'd get second wind for the self heal and then a fighting style and I'd grab defense there for the increased armor class we're not using weapons but at level nine we'd be a fighter two and that means action surge so yeah once per short rest at least we've added that fourth fireball in a single round beautiful one thing I failed to mention here as a sorcerer seven yes we do have enough spell slots to cast four fireballs in a single round but we have to keep in mind that the haste spell is going to cost us another spell slot right of third level or higher we could still do four fireballs in a single round but what we would need to do is cast haste on round one on ourselves and then with our bonus action that round convert some of our sorcery points into a third level spell slot and then on round two we could go nova and do four fireballs now if the game went to level 13 maybe there'll be an expansion we could take three levels of thief rogue here and then because they get those two bonus actions quick and spell twice on our turn so broken to get a yeah fifth fireball but the problem is we don't have the spell slots for five fireballs in a single round unless we went with another level of full spellcaster which would only leave us at rogue two by level 12 right so for the last few levels I'd either just go back to sorcerer for more spell slots and spells or maybe just go sorcerer to eight for the feet and you'd want to either bump charisma to 20 or take the elemental affinity feet I think which you could have actually done last time choosing fire as the damage type of course which would let you then ignore fire resistance on enemies and also make any ones that you roll on your dice for fire damage count as twos not a ton more damage but it's a little bump and of course a big deal if you're running into a lot of fire resistance but then yeah after sorcerer 8 sure wizard 2 so that you could sculpt those fireballs oh and just in case you were wondering let's say you were hitting three enemies with each of those fireballs on average and they were all failing their saving throws on that single round of nova damage you would do 405 total damage across three enemies tactical nuke indeed. So much fun on that one. Can't wait to try it out myself in game. But that is the video for the week. I hope you guys enjoyed these builds. I hope you know that I love you and how grateful I am for all that you do for me, for this channel. I hope you have a great day and a fantastic week. And if you don't, then I hope you hang in there. You've got this. But I also hope that you stay safe and that you're kind and that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. Bye-bye. I know you want to say no, no, no And it feels much better in the summer Well if it isn't warm where you're sitting and kitten, come on in out of the cold Cause all I know is when I'm with you then I don't need anything else What I wanted you to know Is kid things seem like nothing at all Kid things make it better than it was 90s kids, favorite Counting Crow song? For my money, it is um, that song, Kid Things. It's actually the ghost track on uh, This Desert Life, their third album. So good. Such fantastic energy. I love it. What's all? (laughs) What's all? Next question, favorite Ted Lasso character? It's gotta be Roy, right? I mean Ted's fantastic, don't get me wrong and for that matter so is Keely and Rebecca and and Leslie. But yeah, I think I think Roy's my fave. Greatest show of all time, of course. If you haven't seen it, please, please get yourself a free 7-day trial to Apple TV and watch that show. It is just so happy. As with my other build, as with my old as with my other BG3 build vid. <laughs> don't say that. Well, don't say that. But at level eight, I mean, sure, you may be perfectly satisfied with your three bile... (laughs) Three bile. But also, I probably would snag Aid and Lesser Restoration for a nice heal and party debuff with Aid. Oh. (laughs) And when we get (laughs) Grape'n... Grape'n? Oh, you know what? I just put out that updates video to, um to that first BG3 vid, what, two hours ago? Let's see how it's doing. You can watch with me live. (laughs) 44,000 views and 600 new subscribers. What the hell? It was just a little PSA update. It's probably because it's, it's less than 10 minutes long. People are like, a Baldur's Gate 3 video that's not an hour? Yeah, I'll watch that. Then they probably click on it and they're like, oh man. (laughs) I gotta go watch that other hour-long video anyway. Stupid.